Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to episode 37 of the Snyder Cut. I am your dashing host, Jeff Snyder. And wow, we've got a jam-packed show for you. The news has come back full force this week. It, it was crazy. A lot of stuff, uh, you know, happening. Reviews, trailers dropping. But where do we start? I think you all know. Tenant Watch. We have got the update. And I told you, folks, I told you, you all said I was crazy, that Warner Brothers would stick to the date. Listen, it only moved back two weeks from July 17th to July 31st, but I was right. And you know what? It, it could move back further. This, this, this is not your final answer, Warner Brothers, okay? Um, but yeah, so Warner Brothers pushed back Christopher Nolan's movie by two weeks. We've got, you know, the New York Times reporting that Nolan really wanted to, to stick to July. He felt this is a summer blockbuster we all know the guy's got something of a, a hero complex. He wants to be the savior of cinema, the guy who's so invested in the future of movie theaters that, you know, he's the one who will get America to return en masse. You know, I, I still don't know how that's going to play out or, or what the uh, financial logistics of that look like for theaters. Uh, I think I explained it in the last episode. Um, you know, it, it prompted a whole dominoes thing. I mean, I had sort of predicted a larger, massive reshuffling uh, for Warner Brothers of all its states. Wonder Woman moved back, Matrix moved back, like everything got delayed. And now all, the, you know, the summer movies, that whole calendar, it's like the entire ecosystem shifts beneath Tenet's feet. So Unhinged moved back a week, uh, you know, because it still has that two-week buffer before Tenet hits theaters. Mulan is still on the calendar. Still hasn't changed. Don't know what Disney's actually planning to do there. I feel like there's just been, it's just been tenant, tenant, tenant. No one is talking about Mulan. I don't know how you release this movie in a month's time with just like no buzz whatsoever. Um, do I think the tenant is going to move more? Yes, particularly with the numbers on the rise. Like, you know, I, I just got the alert, I think, yesterday from Deadline. It was like L.A. posted its third highest day. And I know they're saying, well, you know, we're doing more tests and that's why the numbers are higher. But I, I just don't see any conceivable way that L.A. and New York theaters are open in a few weeks' time and that Warner Brothers feels comfortable putting this movie out there. I, I just... I, I don't know what, what, why is it on Warner Brothers to save cinema or to save movie theaters? Is it, is it that there may not be movie theaters if they don't put something out ASAP? Is, that, is it that movie theaters will just go away and then everyone, you know, whether you've got Wonder Woman, Matrix 4, there's no place to play these things, you know? And as we all know, this, the, the VOD uh, numbers, they don't justify it you know, uh, for, for, for huge budget movies for a $200 million movie, it's almost impossible to make your money back on VOD. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I'm of the opinion that like, I, I'm not going back to a theater, uh, until there's a vaccine or until the numbers come way down. And, and it does, you know, like critics are, it's, they're going to have to thread a needle. Like I saw somebody saying online because, you know, if if we if there if the movie comes out July thirty first and there are press screenings and stuff, we're going to be seeing it in some Warner Brothers theater that they spent all day, you know, cleaning. I mean, I'm not in L.A., so I won't be, but my peers will. 
And it's just a totally, it's like a controlled environment. Whereas going to a movie theater is not a controlled environment. You've got, you know, dozens, hundreds, thousands of people moving in and out of there all the time. Uh, you know, a, t a teenage staff and, and God bless the people who work at movie theaters. But um, yeah, it's just like some of these people, I don't trust them to clean their own rooms. So we'll see. The whole mask requirement is weird. I've had so many conversations with people in, in the last few days about, you know, should we wear masks? Should we, you know, is it okay to take off the mask? Like now is not the time to let your guard down. We just went through three, four months of, of lockdown. Like, you know, for what, for what, if we're, if we're just going to throw it away anyways, tenant. Um, what else? What else? What else? Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac signing on to star in two intriguing new movies. He linked up with Ben Stiller for this project, London, which is described as a high-concept thriller. It's based on, any, on a short story from Joe Nesbo. There's not much in the way of a logline, but we know Eric Roth is going to write the script. He is one of the great screenwriters of our time. Won an Oscar for, uh, for Forrest Gump, who was just nominated for A Star is Born. He did Munich. I mean, the guy's just done so many great movies. So, I mean, Joe, Joe Nesbo is a prolific author in his own right, did, uh, you know, Head, Headhunters and The Snowman. We all laugh at The Snowman, but I'm sure the book was, was a lot better than the movie. So there's a real pedigree behind this project. I, I really like Ben Stiller as a director. I don't think he gets nearly the credit that he deserves. Um, Escape of Dan Amore, he's coming off of that Showtime series that got him a DGA award. Uh, I, I like the, the Oscar Ben Stiller team up. That could be interesting. Hopefully this isn't the next, uh, what was the movie he did with William Monaghan? Uh, like Mojave, that was bad. That was not good. I, and I had high hopes for that. So hopefully that's not what, what this is. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like where Lionsgate's head is at on that one. Meanwhile, Oscar Isaac also signing on to star in James Gray's Armageddon Time. That's based on his childhood experiences growing up at a, you know, at, attending a private school in Queens, the one, same one that, uh, I think it's Key Forest, Q Forest, maybe, Forest Q, one of those things, where Donald Trump went and his father, Fred Trump, was on the board. We already know Kate Blanchett's in this movie. She's a uh, two-time Oscar winner. They got De Niro now. They got Anne Hathaway, a couple more Oscar winners. Donald Sutherland, he won an honorary Oscar, so he counts. Oscar Isaac is, is the only non-Oscar winner in this movie right now. Uh, but, of course, the whole thing is going to hinge on, on the kids. It's about, you know, one or two 12-year-old boys and, uh, you know, the trouble that, that, that they get into. So it's a, it's a coming-of-age film. It's a little bit different uh, from what we've seen from James Gray. Deadline has been doing all these um, interviews with, with uh, filmmakers, you know, in advance of the virtual can market. And so... You know, his James Gray piece had some great quotes. This Will Smith thing we're about to talk about, some great quotes from Antoine Fuqua. Like, it's nice. And the, the uh, Princess Die story that we're going to uh, be talking about soon from, from Pablo Lorraine. He got all these quotes from these filmmakers. And it wasn't just like the typical beauty quote that you see in a studio press release. I, you know, Fleming did a good job with, with these interviews. And so it was very interesting to hear James Gray talk about how he wants to do something just completely different uh, than Ad Astra, something, you know, which was... I wouldn't say it's a, a cold film, um, but he, he wants to do something a, a little bit, uh, you know, light, a little bit more lighthearted. So I think he's got a great cast lined up for that. Oscar Isaac, I'm, I'm excited to see what, uh, what he can do. Like, you know, Oscar, he came like 
he had, he had some great movies. There was like a string of great movies and he got sucked into Star Wars land. And so he only had time to like do certain things here and there. And he kind of lost his way with some of the choices. I didn't, I didn't love some of the choices, but these two projects sound interesting. And I am excited for Paul Schrader's The Card Counter. That just released its first image today of a very mean looking uh, Oscar Isaac with a gun. That's like a, a revenge movie with uh, Tiffany Haddish, Ty Sheridan, and Willem Dafoe. Uh, and Paul Schrader seems pretty high about that one, although, you know, Paul, Paul Schrader's always excited. He always think, thinks everything he's done is, is the greatest. I was reading, uh, I think it was, I saw something today where he was talking about, like, are there really people out there who think First Reformed, that, that Green Book is a better movie than First Reformed, because Green Book won, won Best Picture that year. And it's like, yeah, bro, I, I am not one of the first, like, I, I respect First Reformed more than I actually enjoyed it. Ethan Hawke was was great in it, but um, a weird movie. And yeah, like like I said, you you guys know me. I'm not ashamed to admit my my Green Book fandom. Uh, let's circle back to those other can market stories. So Will Smith signed on to star in this project, Emancipation, from Antoine Fuqua. Now Aunt Will Smith famously passed on the role of Django and Django Unchained you know, years ago when he was all about protecting his brand and, you know, you can't have Will Smith, you know, shouting the N word uh, every 30 seconds. Um, in this, he's going, it's, he's, it's based on this, uh, this real slave, Peter. That's, uh, that was his name. And uh, Peter, you know, escaped his, his slave captors and, and went to the North. And when he, you know, enlisted in the army to, to fight back against the South, uh, army doctors took photos of his back which was all lashed from the, from the whippings. Um, and this photo went viral. It was basically known as the scourged back photo. And it went around the world and sort of showed people just the, the horrors of slavery. So, you know, may, maybe this is just more up Will's alley than a sort of, uh, not that Django wasn't a serious film about slavery, but it's all, it was also a very entertaining movie. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, Emancipation, it's not like a slavery drama. It's not 12 Years a Slave. It is described as an action thriller, much in the way of like Apocalypto or The Revenant. And so, you know, I think I posited on Twitter, like, could this be Will Smith's The Revenant where he's, you know, instead of a bear, he's wrestling with an alligator and he's just making his way up north through this Louisiana swamp. It sounds like a, a real test of his survival skills. Um, I don't, you know, hopefully Fuqua will, will, attack the material the same way that uh, Inyaritu did with The Revenant. Uh, I mean, the camera work in that movie was brilliant. I don't know what Fuqua and Will Smith are planning, but I'm sure that they're looking at that movie as a model. And the, the same, you know, the same goes for Apocalypto, which is sort of Mel Gibson's forgotten masterpiece. It's available on Amazon Prime Video now. Uh, I, I loved Apocalypto. Definitely am overdue for, for another viewing of that one. So I'm all for more movies in that vein and for Will Smith taking chances like this, you know, like, I don't know if the Will Smith of 10 years ago would have done something like emancipation. Will Smith is still, still has to go back and finish the uh, King Richard where he's playing Venus and Serena Williams father. And, and I'm really looking forward to that one too. Uh, Will Smith, a really good actor. And it's nice to see him get back to actual acting rather than, you know, focus on being a whole movie star kind of thing. Um, Right, which brings us to Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart signing on to play Princess Diana in a movie called Spencer, which was Diana's family name. Pablo Lorraine is uh, directing from a script by, I believe it's Stephen Knight. And Stephen Knight 
is a really good screenwriter, you know, did Lock, Peaky Blinders, uh, Dirty Pretty Things, a bunch of, like, interesting things. The last two movies he's done that were, like, Girl in the Spider's Web and, um, and Serenity. So, you know, the, the features haven't really gone that well in the last few years for Stephen Knight. But this, like, I like this idea, and I think that Pablo Lorraine um, is good working with this kind of structure. Like, the story takes place over three days in December. It's, like, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day. And Diana has, you know, gone to her, you know, countryside manor or whatever to sort of take some time away from, from Prince Charles and, and get her priorities in line, think about, you know, what kind of woman does she want to be? She wants to focus on being a mother and, and you know, she wants to raise her two boys rather than, you know, deal with the pomp and circumstance of being a princess as part of the royal family. Uh, and, you know, we've seen this sort of come full circle with Prince Harry and, and Meghan Markle, you know, stepping away from the royal family. It's just, you know, that's not what they envisioned they were, they were born into those lives and, and rather, you know, it's not what they envisioned for themselves. It's not the life, lives that they had in mind for themselves. Uh, so I like the idea of this project, you know, like, like Jackie was said over a few days and, and, you know, built around the interview. Um, I don't know if like Prince Charles is a big figure in this or if the two boys are like who is going to be with princess diana in this gigantic home is there going to be someone who she confides in as far as the actual casting of person stewart you know i i respect her choices um but i'm just i'm never i'm sorry i've never been blown away by her as an actress i think she's fine you know she occasionally she's even good uh and i haven't seen everything that she's ever made you know it's not it's not like that but the movies that i've seen you know, yeah, is this is more than I was expecting from the the star of Twilight, but not not there's not one movie where I was like, oh, now that is a great, that's a great performance, great job by Kristen Stewart. I've just never said it, and so I don't care that it's an American playing Princess Diana. I mean, what I care about it is is having a good actress, and maybe Kristen Stewart's the only person you could get this movie financed with. She can certainly relate to you know. Princess Diana later in life uh, and have, being surrounded by and, and hounded, uh, hounded by paparazzi, you know, like, like that, that would have been a little bit more interesting, but I just don't know. I just, I just can't see it. That, that's basically what it boils down to. I cannot see Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana. Uh, she's, she's no Natalie Portman. Not that Natalie Portman should have played Princess Diana. It probably should have been Elizabeth Debicki. But Natalie Portman did an amazing job playing American royalty Jackie O in Jackie. And I just, I don't, you know, lightning rarely strikes twice for, for uh, so Pablo Lorraine, best of luck to you. I just, I don't know. Maybe there's something just very internal about this Diana on, on the page because I think Kristen Stewart's a very kind of internal actress you, you can see that there's a lot going on beneath the surface and, and she's always thinking um but yeah I, i'm just i'm struggling with this one definitely <sighs> princess diana hmm. i guess we should talk about um the oscars that that officially got delayed the show uh moving from february to the end of April. So now, you know, it's going to be, we're going to be four months into the year still talking about the invisible man or whatever. And, uh, you know, like, so there's this increased eligibility now 
uh, you'll be able to release movies until the end of February. So if something is like a huge hit at Sundance, grand, you know, who even knows if there's going to be a Sundance? But let's just say that something is a huge hit at Sundance. And let's just say Oscar bloggers are, are, know that there's four locks in the best actress race, but everyone, no one can, can settle on who's going to be that fifth uh, nominee. Maybe some company is like, oh man, we got great reviews out of Sundance. Let's just put this movie out right now. And we can get, uh, you know, fill in some, some gaps in the nominations. Um, it's just, I just, I don't know how many studios are going to take advantage of that January, February, that extra time. And so if they don't, then what is the point of delaying the show? Uh, we, you know, we talked about this all on, on, on For Your Consideration on Collider FYC earlier this week. So definitely go back and tune into that. It's me, Perry Nemiroff, Scott Mance. We even got the Mance man back. And we had a great conversation for about 40 minutes. We, we talked about, you know, what are some contenders this year that we've already seen? What are the movies coming up in the second half of the year that, that we think are going to be in the mix? Um, and, and it was interesting to hear everybody's responses to that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know that I'm a, I'm a fan of, of the Oscar delay, not to mention the fact that it throws off the 2022 ceremony because now January and February are part of, you know, the, the 2020 show. So I feel like if you come out in January or February, you should be able to choose which year you want to, you know, submit for the Oscars. Meanwhile, of course, the Academy makes all these announcements and proclamations, like without fully thinking through everything or, you know, being fully transparent about what they have in mind. So, you know, the big uh, Oscar thing this week was that they're also returning, not this year, but next year, to a firm 10 best picture lineup. And I always liked the, the sort of drama and mystery that came with how many nominees will there be this year? It, it won't be five. It'll definitely be more than five, but it also won't be 10 because 10 is almost mathematically impossible. So it was always going to be seven, eight, or nine. Now they're doing away with that. So there's going to be a hard 10. And the idea is that it will, you know, maybe some movies that didn't make the cut, some smaller films, some more diverse films, now there will be this extra space. But what happens if this extra space goes to some big uh, blockbuster starring a bunch of white people or made by white, white guys? Like, you know, is there calls the next year to make 15 nominees? Like, I just don't understand. We're never going to get to a place where everybody is happy and satisfied. Or will we? Because the Academy has also said that, you know, as of July, you know, by July 31st, they're going to come up with these new eligibility requirements requirements for I don't know if it's every category for best picture or what and I don't know if that means if, if that is an individual thing so like oh you know you need to have a black person or a person of color uh in in your you know main cast or you need to have a certain amount of department heads or something be people of color so that you can be eligible is that what they want i mean if someone goes off and just makes a movie with a bunch of white people does that mean they're no longer eligible for awards it's like i I understand the moment and and i'm reading the room i i know the times that we're living in but i'm also not a fan of like quotas and stuff like reservoir dogs and i brought that up maybe it was a poor example but it's the example i'm going with like it's just it's a bunch of white guys there's very few women in the movie there's very few people of color in the movie uh so it's like, would this movie not be eligible for Best Picture? Or is it simply that 
you know, rather than have requiring this, you know, what X, Y, and Z from each individual movie, that it's about the lineup. And that, you know, there will have to be one or two movies uh, from people of color in the best picture lineup so that, you know, th- these movies are being considered alongside other, other top titles just to ensure. I mean, to me, they were always being considered. Like, I just, I'm, I don't know who's sitting there thinking like, well, what was the best movie made by white people of the year? Like, we've seen wins, Parasite, Moonlight. Uh, I, I don't think, I think that the Academy has some issues to figure out, but I don't think of them as like a racist organization at all. So it's just like, you know, what is this in response to really? Anyways, I just think it was crazy for the Academy to throw out this kind of stuff and not explain it. Like, why why make the announcement now? Why not just wait until after the July 31st meeting and then come out and say, here's the plan? Because this is the exact same popular film Oscar debacle all over again, where they say, hey, we're planning to do this. And then people are like, wait, what? And, and you know, then it just went away. Like, come in, come in with a plan. Pitch me, and I will tell you whether I think that's a good idea or not. Not that I'm a member of the Academy or that my opinion matters at all. But when you, you know, mention diversity eligibility requirements, my first response was the same thing that Dave and Poland tweeted, which is just, what the fuck? What the fuck? Really? And again, I'm the guy who lost my job for, for predicting that, uh, you know, Oscar's so white. Not that it would be canceled. But, you know, that, that there was going to be 40% of the acting nominees were going to be people of color. Lost my job. Anyways. And we're just, we're still, we're still there. Where people just are, like, losing jobs constantly. And people are being, being canceled. And, I mean, you got to be able to talk about this stuff. And, 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 and it sucks. It sucks that, that people aren't able to really have the conversation because it, there's just too much at stake. Because if you say the wrong thing, and it's not about having the wrong opinion. It's just maybe phrasing the opinion in the wrong way. That, that's it. You're done. So it, it really, it's like, you know, trying to talk with a muzzle on or your hands tied behind your back. Um. It'll be, I'm just very curious to see, you know, what the Academy thinks the problem is and what they think the solution should be. That's all. Um, what do we got? What do we got? We got this, this little TV project, uh, Dope Six. It's not a little TV project at all. It's going to be a, a big limited series uh, that, that Hulu is doing. Michael Keaton has signed on to star. It's all about the opioid crisis in America, which is, you know, obviously one of the country's big problems. Uh, I've heard all kinds of interesting talent circling this one. I'll, I'll just throw it all out there. I, I'd heard that Caitlin Deaver was going to do Dope Sick. And then she got that w- movie with Joey King. And then, you know, she just landed the female lead in, in Dear Evan Hansen. So she had to fall out of Dope Sick. I heard Laura Dern was doing Dope Sick and then fell out of Dope Sick to do Dear Evan Hansen. That's right. I've heard Laura Dern the mother role in Dear Dear Evan Hansen. But then I heard she's not doing that either. So it's like, well, then why did she drop out of Dope Sick if she's not doing Dear Evan Hansen? I don't know what's going on. Uh, But Laura Dern, you know, coming off an Oscar win for Marriage Story, she is in high demand. So Dope Sick and Dear Evan Hansen are at least two projects that I know wanted her. 
you know, I, I don't know what she's ultimately going to do next. Um, but I am looking forward to that, that dope sick thing. Michael Keaton hasn't done television in 17 years. The last thing was this TNT uh, miniseries, The Company, which I still have. I still have a copy of with Chris O'Donnell, Alfred Molina. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Michael Keaton come back to, to television. And uh, yeah, this is, it sounds, it feels almost like traffic the series a little bit. And I know that I think that there was a traffic series, but I cannot tell you a thing about it. Um, yeah, we talked about Caitlin Deaver doing the, the Dear Evan Hansen movie. Ben Platt. Why, why isn't Universal confirming Ben Platt as the lead in this movie? Like, do they think he's too old? He's 25. He's too old to play a teenager. Is, is that creepy? I mean, how do you not let the kid, you know, uh, play, play the stage role that he originated again? Plus, his father's the producer. Like, I just don't get why, why Universal's being coy about that unless there really is some kind of big shakeup in the works. Uh, I think the politician season two, I don't know if it, it came out, if it's coming out soon or, or the trailer is coming out, but just speaking of Ben Platt, I thought, I thought it was funny because people in the Slack are like, has, has anybody watched the politician who wasn't being paid to like write about it uh, for work? Um, Caitlin Deaver. She also, all right, that coastal elites thing. It was like this HBO special Jay Roach filmed it during the quarantine. Caitlin Deaver's in it. Uh, Bette Midler, a whole bunch of other interesting folks. So, you know, networks are clearly, they weren't sitting, sitting on their hands this quarantine. They have decided to get creative. And, hey, the more Caitlin Deaver, the better. She's a fantastic young actress. That's someone who has, like, really impressed me in something, as opposed to maybe Kristen Stewart. <sighs> there's a green... Speaking of Green Book earlier, there's a Green Book reunion on the horizon. I mean, what terrible timing. No one wants to, to talk about this movie or, or celebrate a reunion, but sure enough, that's what we got. Viggo Mortensen and Peter Farrelly reteaming for the greatest beer run ever over at Skydance. This is a really interesting story. Uh, Vigo is not going to be the star of it. It's about a young guy. All of his buddies were overseas in Vietnam fighting in the war, and he decided to take a trip over there to like bring him a bunch of beers and just shoot the shit with his buddies. So I don't know whether Vigo will play the father of that guy or the father of, of one of the, the soldiers over there or, you know, their commanding officer. But I don't know. This could be an interesting story from Peter Farrelly. I mean, Green Book, I remember when that project was first announced and it was like, uh, you know, what is this? Who is this for? You know, but it, then it went on to win Best Picture. So maybe Peter Farrelly will surprise us all again with this. Um, I'm just glad to see Vigo you know, doing something interesting. Like he's, he's been on a roll. I haven't seen his directorial debut falling. I heard decent things at a Sundance. Um, but I always like Vigo's choices, you know, Captain Fantastic, whatever it may be. He's an interesting guy to watch. Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson, the king of Staten Island, teaming up with Colin Jost, the writer of Staten Island Summer, for this movie, Worst Man. Now, you probably already know exactly what this movie is, just based on the title. It's a wedding comedy uh, about the soon-to-be-married couple and their families in the weeks leading up to the wedding. Is Colin Jost going to be the groom? Probably. Is Pete Davidson going to be the, the, the best man uh, who, who's just a walking disaster? Probably. You know, maybe he'll be the brother of, of the bride, you know, who, who Colin Jost is sort of forced to take on as a best man or, or whatever. <laughs> Couple of Staten Island boys make, making good, making, making the borough proud. 
So yeah, you know, it's it, like I said, this premise sounds familiar. I think we've we've seen this kind of thing before, but never as like a raunchy R-rated comedy. I couldn't even get through that um, Adam Sandler, Chris Rock one, the week of. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see who they get to direct this. Maybe it'll be Rodney Rothman or Nick Stoller or somebody cool like that. Maybe it'll just be Oz Rodriguez from SNL. But I, I really like Pete Davidson. I, I was a fan of The King of Staten Island. I wasn't blown away by the movie or anything, but he... he impress me uh, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people I do think he's a budding movie star I think they're I think both these guys are not long for SNL it sounds like Pete is probably already gone you know since since SNL's off for the summer I know they've been coming back with the quarantine specials and whatever but yeah I'd be surprised if Pete can return Colin Jost I think uh, I understand wants to stay on through the 2020 election but yeah, I think you're going to see some turnover in that cast uh, relatively soon. I don't know how much longer Kate McKinnon can, can stick around there either. Um, do, 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 a new Disney movie, Encanto, which is going to have a, a diverse lead. I think it's from the, the people behind Moana and Zootopia. That was interesting. So head over to Collider to read more about that project from Drew Taylor. Uh, HBO Max announced this project, 10-Year-Old Tom, from the guys who did The Life and Times of Tim. What a, a fantastic animated series that was. Uh, Steve Dildarian, he, he wrote it, he, he directed it, or yeah, he wrote it, did the, directed it, did the voices, all kinds of cool stuff. So I really like this, this, uh, this series. I don't watch nearly enough animation as it is, besides like F is for Family and, and maybe Big Mouth. But this is about like a, a 10-year-old boy just surrounded by terrible influences. Uh, you know, people at, at school, people at home, uh, his parents, nobody's setting a good example for this kid. Sounds like fun. It could be the first HBO Max series where I'm like, all right, sign me up. Uh, we had a fun piece this week about Robert Zemeckis ultimately coming up with the hold on to your butts line from Jurassic Park. Definitely check that out over on Collider. Um, also, we had a scoop uh, from David Kep. Who's, I watched his new movie last night. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. His, uh, he said that Universal has you know, given him another crack at Bride of Frankenstein. So that project is still alive over there. Universal uh, eager to get to, to, to make headway with its, its failed dark universe that now is no longer a universe, but you know, it's the same gist. Um, Quibi. Stopped marketing and releasing no new shows. They're just like, yeah, this pandemic is just, we didn't see it coming. It's throwing off everything. They made, they, they just signed the deal that HBO Max couldn't with like Roku and Fi, Amazon Fire sticks and shit like that. Um, and I think you can now, you know, stream it to, uh, you know, Apple Cast, whatever the hell that fucking term is. I never know what the hell it is. You can get it on your computer now. It's not just on your phone, which is like throws the entire business model uh, of Quibi up in the air. Plus, I just want to watch The Fugitive. Give me The Fugitive so I can delete this fucking app off my phone. It's not that I didn't like the stuff that, that, I, that I watched. I actually do want to uh, maybe take advantage of this free trial that I still have a week or two left of and watch Dummy, the Anna Kendrick series. But yeah, nothing that I saw, Most Dangerous Game, Blackballed, whatever it was, not, nothing really blew me away. And maybe that is the format that I was watching it over a fucking period of two weeks or something. Um, I feel bad a little bit for, for Katzenberg uh, because I, I could see where his head was at. And, and I think that circumstances did maybe play a part in things, but at the same point, at the same time, like this was just never really a fully thought out streaming service, frankly. Um, but you know, everybody's getting their footing. Like it took Netflix years. It took Hulu some time. 
So I'm inclined to cut Quibi and, and HBO Max a, a bit of a break. Uh, Warner Media, though, you got to get your shit together as far as the HBO branding stuff. Let me, let me just tell you what I would do. You hire me as your consultant. I come in and I say, you need HBO and HBO Max. You're done. There's no HBO Go. There's no HBO Now. There's no HBO fucking who gives you shit. It's HBO, HBO Max. Those are your two things. You sign up for HBO Max. You're still getting everything on HBO. Simple. Why, why must, must we needlessly uh, complicate everything in Hollywood? I swear to God. Uh, a couple date changes. The one and only Ivan dropping on Disney Plus now on August 21st. Again, Disney Plus. Yeah. I mean, th- this is not a, a cheap movie. This was a, a star-studded movie. Lots of, uh, you know, CGI and whatnot. But Disney Plus needs to get in the fucking game, bro. They've been coasting on the Mandalorian, uh, on Goodwill from the Mandalorian for like the last eight months. I know they've got Hamilton coming up in a couple of weeks, but they needed more original movies. Artemis Fowl is not the fucking answer with Josh Gad uh, pooping dirt out of his ass or whatever. So, you know, maybe one and only Ivan is the thing that, that drives a few more subscriptions come August. My Spy, the Dave Bautista movie, will now drop on Amazon on June 26th. And uh, Jerry Butler's movie, Greenland, which actually looks kind of good and, and surprisingly timely, uh, moving back to August 14th in the wake of Tenet, moving to July 31st. Uh, I'm riding high off some big TV news that came in right as we started to tape this episode. HBO has announced that Hard Knocks will return August 11th, and it will focus not just on one team, but on two the Chargers and the Rams, that, that's right, Hard Knocks, Los Angeles. I'm pumped. I hope Mark Fernandez brings me back for another uh, Hard Knocks podcast. I had a blast doing it last year when we were talking about the Raiders. And, again, these are our teams, the Chargers and the Rams, L.A. I mean, wait, I'm a Patriots guy. I didn't mean to say that. He's a Dolphins guy. But we live in Los Angeles, maybe not at the moment. Chargers and Rams, those are the games that we get to see in person. So I'm uh, even though – and I think it's kind of crazy to have the NFL and to have it without fans. If they are going to do it, at least I get to watch my, my beloved hard knocks. Oh, what else we got? There were some trailers this week for the rental and the nest. I thought uh, the rental, which I wrote up for Collider this morning, I thought that looked awesome. I mean, I'm a big fan of taking four actors out to the middle of nowhere and, and uh, throwing in, some kind of uh, creepy twist. In this case, sounds like the, the guy who rented them the house is spying on them. There's a home invasion element of sorts. I, I'm anticipating some kind of sci-fi twist, and I fear that the IMDb credits, if you look at the names, I fear that it has given away the twist, so don't go and look at IMDb. I want to be surprised uh, at this one going, uh, you know, for this one going in, but I really like the cast here. This, first of all, this is a Dave Franco's directorial debut, and I know... You know, James Franco has made more bad movies than good ones, but maybe Dave, you know, picked up some, some the, the good stuff. I, I, I'm intrigued to see more. He co-wrote the script. Uh, yeah, he co-wrote the script with Joe Swanberg. It stars his uh, Dave's wife, Allison Brie, as well as Dan Stevens, who I always like in Thriller mode. Toby Huss is in there from The Invitation. Um, Sheila Vand from A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and Jeremy Allen White who I love uh, loved on Shameless I only watched the, you know, the early seasons of Shameless but he was always uh, the standout to me and he never he hasn't really gotten a chance to show what he can do on the big screen so you know maybe this is some kind of a big, a big break for him 
IFC distributing has me a little worried. Makes me, you know, I just can't remember the like the last time that they put out a movie that, that blew me away. But uh, I don't know. I'm pretty psyched for the rental. Yeah. The Nest also released a trailer. That was the Sean Durkin's movie out of Sundance with Jude Law and Carrie Coon as this couple and money's causing a problem in their relationship. They pack up, they move from America to to England and it's just, it doesn't go terribly well. I just don't know. The movie didn't really do anything for me. I really admired the, um, the performances from Jude Law and Carrie Coon. They're, they're both great, but it's just, this is not a fun two hours to spend with those people. Uh, So your mileage may vary on that one. Things I saw this week, I watched, I don't know if I had reviewed 7,500 on the podcast. Sometimes I repeat myself because I, you know, taping on Thursdays kind of, when I took, when I taped on Fridays, it was like, all right, this was the week and and here's the catch up. Thursdays is throwing me off a little bit. So I I forget what I talked about, but 7,500 comes out today. They wanted to avoid the uh, June, uh, Juneteenth, which was a smart move by Amazon. Very, very respectful. Um, It was good. That was pretty good. Joseph Gordon-Levitt does a really nice job here as a, a co-pilot whose who's plane is hijacked. And, you know, the, the terrorists are taking passengers hostage uh, and, and threaten to kill them if he doesn't open the cockpit door. But, of course, if you open that door, then they could get control of the plane and could be jeopardizing the lives of many, many more people. So uh, it's he's really just in an impossible situation. The movie starts out really strong. And all of the action takes place within the cockpit. I mean, there's a camera outside the cockpit, but so you can see like the monitor. But yeah, everything is pretty much taking place inside the cockpit. And I thought it was a really strong calling card for the director, Patrick Volrath, who does a really nice job. The movie kind of, it was intense. Like it reminded me of of Hotel Mumbai uh, without maybe the same scale or budget. And uh, it's definitely up there with, with Gordon-Levitt's better movies. Speaking of which, I do have the best Joseph Gordon-Levitt movies ranked list coming up this afternoon. I don't know what time it's supposed to drop, maybe around uh, 2, 3, 4 Eastern time soon. By the time you're seeing this, it'll probably be up. I had a great time uh, going down, you know, revisiting Gordon-Levitt's filmography. Uh, there were like 11 movies that I wanted that I, that I thought could have been on there. So I had to make one tough cut, but so, but I hope you like it. So leave me a comment, you know, on YouTube or whatever. If you think I'm crazy, uh, let me know what your Gordon Levitt rankings look like. Um, I saw Palm Springs. I watched that last night. I may, I may talk a little bit more about that closer to its release date on Hulu. Suffice to say, I liked it. Um, and I'm not, I'm just not typically high on, on the type of comedy that it is. Some of you will know what the twist is in Palm Springs. Others won't want to be spoiled and you should avoid the trailer then and all coverage of it. Because it's like, you know, that's the thing. It's like, I don't know. There needs to be some kind of czar of entertainment uh, journalism who can say, are we, are we talking about what this movie's about or are we not? Are we keeping it a secret or are we spoiling it? Because uh, I saw, you know, some sites did one, some sites did the other. Yeah, I liked it. I just, you know, that purchase price is, is crazy to me from Neon and Hulu. I never would have spent the money that, that they did on this. Um, I don't know if Neon thought it was actually going to make its money back in theaters. As as far as like, a, is it a fun like drive-in movie to see? Yeah, it's it's 90 minutes. It's briskly paced. It has some laughs. 
it, it, it's a fun movie and, and there's some, you know, a nice romance at its center. But it didn't, uh, it just didn't blow me away like the most, the biggest sale in Sundance history I thought should have. Speaking of should have, You Should Have Left. That's the new movie from Blumhouse and director David Kep. It stars Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried as a May-December couple uh, who move into a house that has some issues. Um, I can see why this is getting some decent reviews, but it's, it is decent at best. I would have to come down on the negative side of the scale. The first like 45 minutes of this movie are just like insidious light. And, and, and I cannot stand those fucking movies. I, I really, <laughs> I cannot stand the thing where someone just walks past or shadow moves or the lights fucking turn on. Like, no, didn't do it for me. There was a good 20 minute stretch in this film where I was like, oh, like this is a little bit different. And, and I like how seriously they're taking this. It's mostly the relationship stuff with Kevin Bacon and Amanda C- uh, Seyfried. Um, but yeah, that, then, you know, the end sort of goes back to generic haunted house movie ending. I thought the, there's a twist in it that that's, I thought was kind of predictable. Um, maybe I'm just way too familiar with certain actors' faces and voices. But yeah, you should have left a very kind of forgettable genre movie. If you're hard up for, for new movies and entertainment, give it a whirl. But I wouldn't go spending, I don't know what it's actually available for upstairs, but if this is like a $20 rental, get the fuck out of here. I still haven't seen Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. I need to get on that. You know, it's a two and a half hour movie and I want to give it my full attention. I don't want to be fucking typing up a news story or, you know, reading something in in the middle of it. So Spike, it's not that I'm not respecting you because I haven't seen the movie yet. It's because I respect you that I just want the circumstances to be perfect. I want to give myself over to this movie. Um, What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? Going down the list. I did publish a piece on Sunday uh, urging people to revisit Nicholas Winning reference series Too Old to Die Young on Amazon. This was, like, I get it. I watched that first episode and I was like, oh, my God. Is this how every line of dialogue is delivered? I mean, every line of dialogue takes fucking 15 seconds to get through. So I understand why it's not up to some people's alleys. But if you stick with Too Old to Die Young, I think you'll be richly rewarded. The series definitely picks up uh, the pacing. The visuals are gorgeous. The soundtrack is gorgeous. Listen, I gave you 10 fucking reasons to, to watch the show if you haven't seen it. And we are in the middle of a pandemic. I know you can take some, some programming risks. You can make some time uh, for something that you maybe wouldn't have normally had time to watch. So go over to Collider for my list of reasons why you should watch Too Old to Die Young. Speaking of which, Miles Teller signs on to this survival thriller, Not Without Hope, uh, from executive producers Russell Wilson and Ciara. And, I mean, this sounds like a really good role for Miles. I, I like these kinds of stories. It's him and a buddy that go out on the water with a couple of uh, NFL players. They get capsized. And so, yeah, it, it becomes a, a fight for survival, a test of friendship and, and strength and uh, endurance. And yeah, that, that's the kind of stuff I want to see Miles Teller. I don't need to see Miles Teller, you know, saving the world. Uh, I just want him to do sort of thoughtful, character-driven work like this. Uh, and I like the team that he has surrounding him here. So I'm, I'm eager to see who he gets uh, as his co-stars. Um, God, Naya Costa dropped a new animated 
teaser trailer of sorts for Candyman, and it was gorgeous. It was just stunning work. I don't have uh, her Twitter or, you know, the names of the people who actually made this thing in front of me. But this could win an Oscar for Best Animated Short just on its own. It, it did a beautiful job telling the story of Candyman, which it, who is not just your average, you know, slasher. Like, there's real historical context there. And um, I, I'm excited for Candyman. My father was known as the Candyman. He is in the candy business. This is the house that Candy built. Used to have a gigantic Candyman poster. Like, you know, the house is very well decorated. Mom did a nice job while she was around. Uh, but then we had this giant fucking Candyman poster and we changed uh, the tagline, uh, you know, from the chilling mind of Clive Barker to the, the chilling mind of Kerry Snyder or whatever. So, I mean, he the fucking guy tells me, Big Daddy tells me he still has like little promo things from the original Candyman. I remember it was a little mirror that said Candyman on it because, you know, the whole thing's about saying, saying Candyman in the mirror five times. So he says he still has some. I have to check them out, and I will show them uh, on, on Twitter soon, as soon as I dig them up. Um, wanted to point uh, people to our best of TV of 2020 list. I think that came out early this week. Liz Miller, our new TV editor, did a great job assembling that. I signed up for as many blurbs as I could get my hands on. I, got, I had the honor of writing up the number one blurb, and I just rewatched that series with my dad. And I think we made the right choice. It was, in fact, finishing first, The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan ESPN 10-part documentary series. It was, it's just great. It really is fucking awesome. And I know I came down on it in one article for not being a, a, you know, a true work of journalism the way I felt OJ Made in America was. Because, yes, Michael Jordan and the NBA were involved as producers and they did influence this. And that's fine. You know, it just means don't call it this, this, you know, work of journalism, although clearly there is journalism on display in it. Uh, but God, it's just a wildly fascinating, fantastic ride. And even you don't have to be a fan of basketball, I think, to appreciate, um, you know, what the Bulls accomplished and what Michael Jordan accomplished. And I'm just, again, just listen to all these stories, like where Scottie Pippen came from, where Dennis Rodman came from, Steve Kerr, uh, you know, going through having his father assassinated when he was a young man. It really, um, it, it really makes you want to get, get off the couch and go make something of your life. Uh, other things I love, right. So anyways, check out the best TV of 2020. I did things on Ozark, Tiger King, Hunters, uh, some other one. So that, that was, that turned out to be a really good feature. I like, I like Collider's staff taste in television. Uh, I also love Dave Chappelle's 846. If you haven't seen that yet, you know, make, make a cut out 30 minutes for yourself and treat yourself to that on YouTube. Dave Chappelle is, is just he, he's hilarious. He's wise. Um, I think he, he comes up with really thoughtful, considered takes. He doesn't just you know, shoot off at the mouth. And he, say, you know, he, he makes some really smart points about race. Um, I, I, I like when, when, when Chappelle goes there, and he definitely goes there. He doesn't shy away from anything in this one, nor, did, nor does he have to. I mean, that, that's the thing. When you have that kind of money, you don't have to fear being canceled. You don't have to fear you know, a corporation or a boss coming down on you, you just get to speak freely. And, and you know, there are times in this business where I, I wish I could, could do that. Uh, and maybe some people would like me more for it and some people would like me less. I just think that there are some complicated issues happening right now, not just in the world at large, but in entertainment. 
And it, they, they require a nuanced discussion. And, and the truth is you just really can't have a nuanced discussion about certain things right now. Um, nothing nuanced uh, about Nancy Ryder. She was a great publicist and she lost her battle with ALS this week. Um, so I just wanted to, 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 you know, do a little RIP for Nancy Ryder who always treated me with, with respect. Uh, you know, when I, I knew I had a good story when, when it was a story that was worth her attention and when it elevated to her level. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I've been reading about her battle with ALS for many years now, uh, mainly courtesy of Chris Gardner, a Hollywood reporter, uh, journalist who, who really, you know, spent a lot of time with Nancy and told her story, not just like once, but in a series of like 20 stories. And, and uh, you know, a lot of Hollywood figures, they sort of, you know, they, they age and uh, they lose their looks and, and they sort of just disappear and they, they die in peace um, because it's, you know, maybe part of it's embarrassing, but it wasn't for Nancy. She, she really showed her, her strength. And, and, you know, Chris is a guy, and I, I think this is out there about him, but he, he's had some struggles of his own. Uh, you know, he, he has done the, the, the rehab thing. And so, like, he, he's lived a life, as have I. And I just really appreciate what he has made of himself and, and turned himself into, uh, you know, someone with real compassion. Uh, you know, you could really feel the empathy in those pieces. So, you know, uh, I'm going to miss Nancy, uh, but I wanted to, you know, offer kudos to Chris because um, I think that was a story that moved a lot of people in Hollywood, not just me. Um, is there anything else before we take some mailbag questions? I'm just going down the list here. Do, 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 do. Um, one second. Bear with me, gang. We pretty much got it all. You know, there was a little something, and this is an old rumor. I'm going to do the rumor of the week. We're going to do the rumor of the week, but only because of the rewatchables. The rewatchables this week was about Fletch, the Chevy Chase movie. You know, it was Bill Simmons, Sean Fantasy, Chris Ryan, just uh, talking about how quotable it is, how great it is. Fletch was the movie that was sort of just above my generation, uh, just out of reach. So, like, I, I, while I like Fletch, uh, it was always my camp counselors who were insisted on putting it on and said it's the funniest thing ever. And, and it's it's not to me, but but I do, you know, I, I, I do like it and respect it. And, and uh, Chevy Chase is great in it. So they've been t- trying to do a, a Fletch remake for ages. Kevin Smith was involved at one point, I think. Jason Lee was going to do it. Jason Sudeikis. If your name was Jason, you were going to play uh, Fletch. Um, this is a a valuable IP that I think is controlled by Miramax right now. And so this rumor is old. It is months old. It may not be true anymore. And yeah, I'm just saying, like, take, take this with a gigantic grain of salt. But if they're, let's just say it's an active development and they need an actor to, to play Fletch. I've heard somebody. I've heard it's, in fact, one of Bill Simmons' pals. I've heard it's Madman, John Hamm. John Hamm, in an interview with Esquire, he was even asked the movie that he's seen more than any other, and he said, Fletch, I can't turn it off. I wish I could say it was the 400 blows. Um, but yeah, I've heard John Hamm may be the guy stepping into Fletch's shoes. I have heard he, he also may produce the movie. I don't know where things stand. Who knows what the hell is going on with, with Miramax these days. But 
If you're wondering who could play Fletch, throw John Hamm's name on the list. All right, what do we got? I'm taking. Some, I'm going to the mailbag questions. We're going now. Bringing up the tweets. Few minutes left in the show. Whoa, 20. 20 replies by the time I'm checking on this. Juhana Linaverta, my, my cameo pal. What movie do I feel got better on second viewing? Well, we talked about director Ben Stiller earlier. I'm going to have to go with The Cable Guy. The Cable Guy was a movie I just did not really get, did not see why Jim Carrey had decided to follow, you know, follow up uh, Dumb and Dumber and, and The Mask and Ace Ventura with that particular movie. But the more I watch The Cable Guy, the more I fall in love with it. Uh, yeah, that, that movie's a blast. Matthew Farrelly, are you hearing any about any other Disney theatrical movies that maybe moved to Disney Plus, like what happened with Arno Sal and the one and only Ivan? Uh, not off the top of my head. I think that I, I brainstormed this months ago with the Collider people, and all, and all these titles were sort of uh, on it. I mean, listen, anything that you, that you don't think is going to gross at least three, four hundred million dollars is now fodder for Disney Plus, to be honest. Uh, they are going big or going home. Um, although I, I just, I don't see how Mulan could possibly go to Disney Plus. I, you know, at this point, they should just keep moving it if they have to. Chris Woodburn, my buddy, what's my favorite film and why? I mean, you know, a, 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 an old question, Chris. Uh, but I, I always just give the standard Pulp Fiction for this one because... You know, I, I could go on and on about Silence of the Lambs or Seven or Heat or Home Alone. It's just easier for me to just say Pulp Fiction and, and move it along. Uh, Trash Panda, who's the next current SNL cast member that you'd like to see dramatic work from? Um, hmm, that is a good question. That's a good question. I wonder what Michael Che could do, honestly. I mean, uh, I, I, yeah, part of me thinks that we have just scraped the surface of, of Michael Che. So, you know, maybe he could surprise us all. I do like Aidy Bryant a lot, but, you know, she has Shrill, the, the Hulu show. So I, I, I sort of count that as dramatic work. What's a hidden gem of 2020 that I highly recommend? Uh, let's just say, you know what? I think actually it comes out this weekend on VOD, so I'm going to say Mope. Mope uh, was just a, a wild and crazy movie. It's about that porn star who attacked his coworkers with a samurai sword. Just a lot of energy and, and stuff that you wouldn't typically see in, in movies. It's, it was pretty raunchy. So uh, that'll be my hidden gem, Matt Croft. Robert Giacinta. Thoughts on Dave Franco's movie, The Rental? Uh, I spoke about that earlier. Slip and Jimmy, any casting rumors about PTA's new project? The rumors, uh, I think I said this before, the rumors back in the day were um, Harrison Ford, George Clooney, and there was one other guy. I don't know. They're looking for like an older 60-something, 65-year-old guy to play like a, a movie producer, director, whatever the fuck it is. Um, but no, I haven't heard anything about PTA's new movie or even when it's going to be filming. Uh, Alex Tornai, which movie has been released in 2020 stands the best chance to earn a Best Picture nomination next year? That So it's already been released? I mean, I guess that's The Invisible Man. I don't know what else the, the, the answer could possibly be. Um, but yeah, you, you got to think Trial of the Chicago 7 or Mank or The French Dispatch will be in the mix next year. 
Will Draudulis. Uh, seems like De Niro's attached to a lot right now. David O. Russell's next movie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Armageddon Time, After Exile with Shia. Is he still attached to these? Are you going to be able to do all of them? I don't think After Exile with Shia is active at all. Killers of the Flower Moon is obviously definitely moving forward. As uh, Same with Armageddon Time. It's been a little quiet on the David O. Russell front. Um, and with all those stars, I just, again, movies with big stars, I don't know if, you're, if they're all... I just don't. I just don't know why these people would leave their their Hollywood Hills homes. Like, let some other movies shoot, and then see if anybody gets sick on those. Who would want to? Who's in a rush to get back to work right now? I, you know, even when it is safe to return to theaters, I'm going to give it some time and, and and wait a few weeks. Let someone else go be the fucking guinea pig. Uh, any uh, Eric ESP sixty two? Any rumors or possibility that Citizen Kane might be remade with a current day take? I have not heard that at all. That seems like a bad idea. Kyle Hudson, I just saw Jerry Maguire for the first time, and I was enthralled. I was shocked to realize Cameron Crowe also directed Aloha. Which director, in your esteem, opinion, has the biggest gap in quality between their best and worst film? I mean, that could go for a zillion directors. I mean, you know, I think Kevin Smith has made some great movies and some horrible movies. I think... Uh, Sure. I mean, who isn't on this list, right? Robert Zemeckis has made amazing movies and, and some terrible, terrible movies. Uh, there was one just off the top of my head and I fucking forgot about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think every director ha- has a real, uh, you know, bad, bad movie somewhere on the resume, but that's, you know, how they, how they grow and learn from their mistakes, hopefully. Uh, why? If over, under on Tenet being good. I, all I'll say is that this is a movie without a logline. And the people in the movie have no idea what it's about. And John David Washington is the lead. And while I like him, I don't think he's great. I don't think Nolan, you know, he's directed a few great performances. Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. Guy Pierce, you know, probably does his best work in Memento. But I don't typically think of Nolan as being an actor's director. So, you know, this movie is going to uh, ride or die on the concept alone. And... No, until I, I see the see what it actually is fucking about, or if it makes sense and things like that, it's, it's hard to really render a judgment. Thomas Strafke, what other movie TV podcast do I listen to? I listen to the Ringers uh, movie stuff, but I, I just can't get caught up in too many podcasts. Uh, you know, I, I would I would probably recommend the Slash Filmcast. I've heard that that's really good. I've heard a few episodes, um, but yeah, I don't listen to a ton of movie podcasts just because. Uh, movies, you know, like that's the job. And so when I'm listening to a podcast, it's more about escape for me. So I listen to more sports uh, stuff. Um, I do follow, you know, guys like Chris Tapley, Scott Feinberg on, on Twitter. I respect Steve Pond's prediction, awards predictions. I like, you know, and then the, the independents, David, uh, David, David Wells, David Boland, Jeff Wells, Sasha Stone, people like that. Jeff Herber, assuming the 2020 Oscars happen, how long before Delroy Lindo becomes the clear frontrunner in supporting it's all going to depend on, on, you know, who he's up against. Uh, I think that, you know, we've been so starved for, you know, uh, awards worthy work. You know, it's really just been Elizabeth Moss from Invisible Man and Ben Affleck in the way back. So people are, are hungry always to anoint front runners at this point. Do I think Delroy Lindo is going to ultimately win the award? I, I got to watch the movie uh, first before I can sort of weigh in. John Hayek, did I see any of Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu? I watched the whole miniseries last week. I'm surprised it's getting Emmy buzz. It's it's not going to get fucking Emmy buzz. It's not going to win shit. I've heard, them, I've heard that show was unbearable. 
uh, full of just the worst characters on television. And so I think that you're seeing, you know, maybe Hulu's threw a lot of money at it and it certainly has some big names involved like Reese and, and Carrie Washington, but I don't see that uh, getting any traction. So I don't think you have to worry about it, John. JVS will space for significantly damage Steve Carell's career. No, it's just a show. Steve Carell is going to be fine. Uh, but yeah, the, that, that one, two punch between that and the John Stewart movie is, it's, it's, it's a rough one. It is a rough one. It is, it's like the, the Matt Damon, uh, downsizing suburbicon stretch. Andre Sousa, who would I cast in a Trump administration biopic and who would be the best person to write and direct it? I don't care, Andre Sousa. I don't actually don't really follow politics too much. I couldn't even tell you who's in Trump administration. Uh, Seems like it changes any week anyways. I'm sick of Trump. I don't want to watch things with Trump. I don't know why people watch the news and watch his speeches. The guy's a fucking moron. Uh, You can quote me on that. Chandler Edwards, are films like Tenet and Mulan going to cut down the release window or is it still going to be three month wait till they hit BOD? I think those will maintain their their windows. Um, Mulan is, yeah, I think that they will maintain their windows. Only Tarantino, why am I such an arrogant blah, blah, blah when it comes to Tenet? You, we will never go to the cinemas again, judging by your confidence. Only Tarantino fan, I'm just trying to save your fucking life, bro. So if you don't want to listen to me, don't. Go to the theater. Don't wear a mask. Eat your fucking nachos and breathe in all the fucking circulated air from that theater and call me in two weeks on your deathbed when you have COVID, buddy. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. You think I'm an arrogant? Like, this is, this is the second or third tweet from you that I've seen with regarding Tenet. I'm arrogant because I'm the fucking insider and that's the goddamn brand of the show. You're getting blocked now. Fuck off. JB Vic, do you think the market for volumetric capture will increase significantly due to the COVID pandemic? I don't even know what the fuck that means. English next time, JB Vic. Only Tarantino fan, you pissed me off and now you're fucking done. That'll do it for the Snyder Cut this week. Thank you for sending in uh, those questions, guys. Thank you for watching. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, at the Insider, also on Instagram, also on Cameo. That's going to be the only way only, only Tarantino fan can contact me is if he pays money to engage in a dialogue with me. Guys, have a wonderful weekend. <laughs> Stay safe out there. Don't go rushing back to restaurants. Yeah, that's right. This is my podcast. I get to argue for what I want. Be safe. It's not worth it. Wear a mask. Keep washing your hands. When's the last time anybody told you to wash your hands? This is still the first wave. It's not the second wave. I love you all. Praying for your health. Tenet. Coming July 31st. (laughs) Bye. Hello, Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. For the perfect last-minute gift, check out Spa Finder. With Spa Finder, send a relaxing spa treatment straight to their inbox without leaving the house. 
Gift cards can be redeemed in-store at thousands of spas and salons nationwide or online at the Spa Finder Wellness Shop. Spa Finder gift cards contain no fees and never expire, making it a perfect gift you can't go wrong with. Go to spafinder.com slash podcast15 to save 15% or enter the promo code podcast15 at checkout.